Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 386 for Tuesday the 10th of February 2015. Hiya, I'm Robbie. I'm Sasha. Tonight we're going to be uh, really giving the show to our viewers. Uh, we have received everything from comments to suggestions to, of course, viewer questions. Mm-hmm. So we're going to rip into the mailbag in just a couple of minutes time. Yeah, the mailbag and the chat room. So if you have questions, post them in the chat room and we'll try and get to them today. It's a great way to get to us. Yep. And now the news tease. Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Blip.tv is winding down after the company that bought them out got bought out. The first straw houses in the UK to be offered on the open market are for sale. Google is rebooting Glass. And and an Ubuntu-powered smartphone is coming to the market. Samsung is warning customers about discussing personal information in front of their smart television sets. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Starring Sasha Dermatis. Hillary Rumble. Krista Wells. Eric Kidd. And your host, Robbie Ferguson. This is Category 5 Technology TV. I'm your host, Robbie Ferguson. I am Sasha Dermatis. So nice to have you here. Sasha mentioned at the top of the show, make sure you join us in the chat room. It's Category 5 on Freenode. Both her and I are there, uh, as well as many people from our viewer community. So make sure you get into uh, Category 5 on Freenode. If you're not sure how to get onto an IRC channel, we make it easy for you. Go to our website, www.category5.tv. And right there, you'll find the interact menu and uh, click on the chat room mm-hmm. and you'll find your way in. If I can do it, you can do it. There you go. So, and then I'll see you right here. Beautiful. Good way to get your questions in tonight, too, because we are really committing the show to you. Uh, another way is to email us live at category5.tv. Oh, here's the part where I say category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Show off. Just so there you have it. Just what it says on the teleprompter. <laughs> hmm. Robbie Ferguson. Oh, right, right, right. We got don't have to one of those. love him. Why don't you tell me how... Your phone is doing well. Uh, Becca's phone that we looked at last week. Now that was a lot of fun for for one thing, um, and lots of great feedback uh, on our YouTube channel, and getting a lot of emails about um, the the time that we had last week as we kind of cut up a SIM card and made it into a micro SIM and did some uh, some interesting things. Uh, but one of the things that we kind of ran a little short on time, and so we didn't actually get to uh, to crack the phone or unlock the phone. Right. So I did continue to do that after the show and so i recorded the uh what it was i was doing so that i could show you how it went and it went exceptionally well so i got the unlock code and uh after installing my sim got prompted and just entered the unlock code and lo and behold the phone suddenly would take a sim from another manufacturer now so it wasn't locked down to fido at that point so now that it's unlocked the next step was to set up the pay-as-you-go service. This is what I'm able to do where you can get service for $25 every four months, and so it ends up being just a little more than $6 a month as far as the service goes. Right. Right. Uh, If you didn't catch that feature, make sure you go back to episode number 385, uh, and you'll find that again at category5.tv. If you're on Roku, it's the Category 5 Technology TV channel. You'll find Category 5 Technology TV in there. Uh, as well, of course, Category 5 TV on YouTube. So now that I 
had the uh, phone unlocked, first thing I did was boot up. And I'm going to give you the, the live voiceover for the video that was pre-recorded at the end of last week's show, just so that you know what's actually going on here. So you know that I cut up the card. I cut up one of the, the pay-as-you-go cards from, uh, from Petro Canada. It's a gas station, but they do cell phone service. That's hilarious. How crazy is that, right? <laughs> but you see it when you go into the gas station, and there they are. So first thing I do, I've got the card in, and I'm going to dial a, a phone number. So we'll dial the studio, 254-522-8588. And you'll see what the phone tells me is that it's not a recognized, uh, not registered on, on a network. So there's the, uh, the warning. This is before... Uh, this is before I unlocked it. It said there was an unregistered SIM. Uh, so then after I unlocked it, there's a little disconnect in the video. But uh, after I unlocked it, all I had to do was go to their website. This is um, provided by Petro Canada. So this would be the same, you know, similar kind of setup to any pay-as-you-go service. You basically go to their website and activate the card. Um, and then uh, you need to get your IEMI uh, number again. So that's where you just enter that code. It's star pound zero six pound and then enter your i m e i pardon me into the uh into the interface and that basically activates your phone so now the sim is going to be activated on that telephone so maybe it was unlocked at this point must have been so goes through the activation process nothing seemingly going on on the phone but uh you'll notice then it said that it has been activated so next thing i did was i rebooted the phone and then you'll notice here something has changed. Uh-huh. Now it's been activated. It says that the SIM card is recognized as Petro Canada. So, and there, just to show you what, uh, what it is that I activated. So. so it is picking up the SIM. So I was able to successfully unlock the, uh, the phone as well as convert the full-size SIM into a, a micro-SIM uh, for this phone. It's the Samsung Galaxy Core LTE. We'll try dialing our number again just to see if this makes any difference. Oh, it would be so great if the phone rang right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you see the, uh, the, the phone is now working. It's not giving me the same error, but it's telling me that there's no money uh, on, on the phone in order to make that phone call. So you pick up a ticket for uh, pay-as-you-go service, $25 is what it cost me, and you just enter the code uh, that is on your receipt. So you actually punch that into the phone. So you're basically done with the web interface at this point. And once that's done, if all goes well, it just quickly dials out, and then there you have it. I've refilled my account, 25 bucks. My balance is 25 bucks, and you notice it expires on June 3rd. Now, this was filmed on February 3rd, so it literally gives me the four months at only $25. $25. Yeah. So let's redial, 254-522-8588. And ta-da! So if somebody were to call that number, the phone would ring here. Well, when we're on the air, the phone is turned off. Oh. At least, un- unless we have the cat phone open, oh, okay. which we tend to do sometimes. Right. But yeah, I mean, people can call that number. It's two five four five cat five TV. It's on our website, but uh, hmm. that's another way that you could get into us. But I'd have to plug in the phone. <laughs> Don't do it tonight, folks. <laughs> Don't do it tonight. You're unless, not going to get through unless you're not watching live. And then go yes. ahead, and give it a try. There you go. Um, so it worked. I mean, it it absolutely worked flawlessly. Everything that we demonstrated last week, as far as cutting up that card and making it into a, a micro sim, it worked. And then uh, unlocking the phone, it worked. And then activating it on pay as you go, it worked. So now Becca's stuck with a phone that is a Samsung Galaxy Core LTE, right? For free. She's stuck with a free phone. Yeah, yeah, a nice one. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then it uh, it's activated and set up so that it only costs just twenty five dollars every four months. And if you want to know how that was done, of course, we mentioned talked a little bit about that on last week's show, but also uh, talked about it previously. You can go to my blog baldner.com and find out all about 
you know, pay-as-you-go. It's just pay-as-you-go service. But when you've got basic needs like myself or my wife, um, you don't necessarily need to be paying into a contract where you're paying a whole lot every month. Right. Because it's really just for emergencies and the occasional, oh, do you mind picking up milk kind of call. So it okay. kind of works out. So you keep your phone on Wi-Fi then whenever you... Correct. Right. Yeah. So for our internet service on that device uh, and and for my devices as well, I just use Wi-Fi because... It, uh, here, at least in Canada, and, and uh, certainly I believe most places that are fairly well connected uh, mm-hmm. these days, you're going to have Wi-Fi at most coffee shops. And you, you tend to pick the ones that have Wi-Fi, and those are the ones that you're going to frequent. Right. But for me, I go from home, where I have Wi-Fi, to work, where I also have Wi-Fi. How's the coffee at work? Very good. Good. Very good. Yeah, so you skip the coffee way. shop with Wi-Fi altogether. Well, I sometimes stop, but that's a whole <laughs> other story. Especially, you know, I get I get gift cards sent to me and stuff, and that's kind of fun. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Robbie gets gift cards sent to him. Mm. Nice. Right. I have a middle right, right, child right. syndrome here going on. Sorry, buddy. That's okay. Um, this week, <laughs> speaking of sending gift cards, um, just a quick little appeal to our community um, in that um, this week was a, a pretty pretty rough week uh, as far as expenditures go. Um, the co-host laptop, which uh, now you remember several years ago, um, Category 5, the studio, uh, I believe it was Studio B, uh, was broken into. We were robbed. Laptop, what? La- laptop was stolen, and the community came together and purchased for us a new laptop. So that's what you're actually using tonight. Um, so that laptop has been in operation all this time. Like we're going back to when Christy Burton was uh, was co-host on the show. Oh, this so, is before me. Yeah, well, yeah. well before when you were with the show. So, so that's the laptop that. We, so we've gotten a lot of use out of it and a lot of life out of it. Um, and that was, of course, uh, contribution from our community of viewers. Everybody kind of came together and, and replaced that for us. Uh, and you know, the appreciation for that is is through the roof. Uh, but the hard drive crashed on Thursday. And because of the new studio, the laptop is kind of what I'm taking back and forth to home and doing the uploads every Tuesday night so that you've got the show Wednesday morning and, and this and that and all that kind of stuff that's, that's going on, even producing your show and doing it on the laptop. Right. So couldn't have downtime, had to go out and buy a new hard drive for the laptop. So, you know, that cost about $100. And then uh, we had our internet was down for five days here at the studio. <laughs> so we're using LTE internet. It was completely in, inoperable for about five days. Um, I was worried that we were gonna, like, it was gonna push us to have to go to the next solution. But right. fortunately, the ISP was able to get it up and running and uh, figured out whatever it was. I felt really, really helpless with the internet because it's a wireless device. Mm-hmm. We're plugged in through a USB port to a, an LTE hotspot, and it's not like a. A modem that I can unplug and plug back right. in and see if it comes back online and I can diagnose the internal wiring. There is none. So it's, you're basically an entirely reliant on, on the ISP. Wow. So that was kind of a rough couple of days. But we're, on, we're live tonight and uh, they had us back up and running in time. They promised that they would try. So. Um, so all that to say, you know, we have our monthly expenses here at the studio and, and uh, we're really starting to gauge, I think, how much it costs to run the show no longer out of my house. Now it's in a studio space and we're having new expenses that we've never had before. Uh, and most of the contributions that have been coming in uh, are, you know, all of them are hugely appreciated, uh, but they're very specifically allocated to things like the camera upgrade project, the internet upgrade project, but we still have those month-to-month expenses and uh, more so now than ever before. Right. So if you have the means to do so, if you could kindly go to cat5.tv slash c and uh, just throw uh, a little tip in the tip jar, and that would just help us out immensely. Uh, if you have the means to do so, to actually subscribe to a monthly contribution of any amount, doesn't matter how little or how much, uh, everything makes a difference, especially when we've got such a large community. Right. Everybody giving $5 would be an astronomical um, you know, just boost to now, our month-to-month. There is a way that just your regular online shopping can also kick back to us. Yeah, and, and some people have found some really unique ways to support the show, too. For example, uh, you want to give a, an, a gift card for um, a movie pass. Right. For a birthday gift or a Christmas gift or whatever it might be. And so you go to our website, category5.tv, click on support us and affiliate links, and you see Amazon. So then you go to Amazon and you purchase your gift card. 
Mm-hmm. And it doesn't cost you any more than the value of the gift card, but a, a small amount of the uh, the transaction actually goes to help Category 5 TV because you followed through our affiliate link. And anything that you want to buy on Amazon, eBay, uh, B&H Photo Video, Tube Tape, you know, so many different shops there. So spectacular. Really so conceivably, you could do all of your shopping really through the affiliate link. Does Amazon do groceries yet? You know, I'm I'm pretty sure that <laughs> you could sure probably have must. some major bulk they products. Sell everything. I would like I, to order one quartered cow. I I laugh about it, but I I actually right now at this very moment in my Amazon cart have dishwasher detergent. Well then, you've answered your own query, have you not? Well, it's not groceries, but I mean, Becca said to me we, we're low on on dishwasher detergent, so I literally went on Amazon, found it. It's like twenty dollars cheaper than buying it in the grocery store. Yeah. Not for long. In bulk, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, good guy says they do sell groceries on Amazon. Nice. You want the there? Speed, you have it, folks. You got to eat. That's right. You got to eat. <laughs> I was more thinking you would buy gift cards and then use the gift card really at like the grocery idea. store. I mean, it's such a unique right? way to support the show. Yeah. I could, I could do that. Yeah. Anybody could. If I can do it. <laughs> this is going to be my slogan. If I can do it, you can do it. I always think it's kind of interesting how the world, you know, the economy works and how shopping works in that you could go and buy a gas gift certificate for gasoline for your car. You're going to spend $20 anyways. You just buy it through that way and a portion of it goes to help the show. It's really interesting that that is possible. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. So thanks to those who use the affiliate links as well. Not to spend too much time on that, but it was important for me to mention just because uh, we really kind of felt it a little bit this week. So. Robbie's been losing his hair from all of the stress. Know, look at this. I had he's, beautiful hair up a, until just I wish uh, it was Thursday. a bef- before and after. He's now yeah. balder nerd. <laughs> <laughs> if there could be such I a got, thing. I'm going to have to check the .com. Note to self. All right. Is the .com available? <laughs> balder nerd. Um, I am just going to delve right in now Sounds to these fantastic. emails. Yeah. I have a fun one. It says it's from ooh, doo, doo, John Zim. Hey, John. Uh, thanks for reading and answering my question on air. Sorry for sending it twice. I got really excited when I tried Unraid and could not help myself. Thank you for such a great show. Yes. <laughs> so that's a little. Hey, you know what? Thanks for the follow up. Uh, appreciate it. Um, we talked about unraid a few weeks back yeah it was sent in some questions and yeah he's, he's right we didn't let on on the show but we got the same email a few times and it's really really you know you, you find technology and and realize you know it's like when i first discovered linux and it's the excitement and the the realization that there's something different out there and something freeing and unraid is certainly one of those technologies that um mm-hmm. is really freeing from the the technical headache of running a nas right. network attached storage um, and these days it's getting so great and so sophisticated and you've got the ability to do some really cool things with Unraid beyond just storage. So, I mean, take a note from John, really, because truth be told, if you don't get an answer right off the bat, there's no problem <laughs> Send just it three sending times? it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, might as well. Or try a couple different things. You know, send it and then also mention that you sent it in the chat room. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) did you get my email? Exactly. And and that's true too because we do get so much email that sometimes things. I I don't know that things necessarily always they don't slip through the cracks, but sometimes there's such an amount of emails that it's hard to get to each one. So we hope to. um, Right. We certainly try our best. A lot of spam too. We get a lot of spam. And not the edible kind. No. Is there any edible spam, really? (laughs) (laughs) Here is a question from, I will probably, is it JWMP5051? Yes. This is a great one. Hey, Robbie, you give a very entertaining TV program. It's so nice to see you laid back folks just having some geeky fun. And I'm in awe of your vast knowledge. Yes, I know Google plays a part of it too. It must feel good now that you have room to swing a cat. Oh, is that what the cats were? <laughs> this is the cat that, that this Hillary is... got us um, for the for the open house. So that's the... That's, that's our... the, the room to swing a cat. So oh, okay. there we go. Swing a cat. There you go. No, I just hope all of you, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. We really have the room for it. We I actually, think it's funny that you got it wasn't a cat. Porcelain, I could play catch with it. Yeah, I think it's great that you got a cat in a studio that's now big enough to swing a cat. There you go. <laughs> it's good luck, apparently. Oh, yeah. 
I just hope all your damp problems are finally solved. Yes. Are they solved? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And actually, today was a, a good thought. And just to uh, just to fill in those who are not familiar with the Studio D project, when we took over this space, um, we came in, and what did we find? We we did a, a big clean. The first day was a big clean, and uh, somebody was cleaning one of the walls, and the wall kind of came apart, uh, and there was water damage, and there was mold, and it was a mess. So we got in here. We had to pretty much gut the place, and that's mm-hmm. what he's referring to about the, the moisture issues. Yeah. So we had so many wonderful volunteers. Robert was here several days uh, caulking all the windows and all the entry points, and we had uh, – other friends of the show that were that were here doing work outside and inside, and um, I believe they were able to to seal it up. I mean, we we got all the drywall up and no more problems. Uh, and today being a fairly good thaw, it was pretty mild today. And We've there's a lot no, of snow. There is no water inside. No water inside. I, I actually observed as I was coming into the studio because our lobby uh, had leaking um, before. Oh, um, like back when we took over in the summer, um, and there was no leaking. So that's Yay, that's our damp really problems have been resolved. Yes. Yes. All right. I just had an experience, not I, but he. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just had an experience which may be worth warning the community about. Although I've been using Linux on and off for many years, Mandrake 7 was my first attempt back in the 90s. I have never had the dedication to get down to the nitty-gritty of the CLI and delving deep into how it all works. CLI being the command line interface. Thank you. The terminal. The terminal. Okay, I don't know. The window where you type stuff instead of... Oh, that's what I want to get into. Yeah? Yes. Right? All right. That's... Yes. Stick around. Guess what's coming up? (laughs) Yeah. Gonna learn Bash. That's a great idea, and <laughs> that other good. one. Remember? I and want... that other one. Yes. Yeah. I have played. <laughs> I have played, and am still playing with many flavors from Backtrack to Zorin, but they're all under VirtualBox. The following is my ah. first attempt in many years to install natively on the hardware, and there were problems. Bear in mind that I've never seen a RAID drive under Linux, so I didn't know what to expect. I have a Pentium 4 3.8 gigahertz tower with a two RAID 250 gigabytes drive. Is that right? Uh, RAID, uh, two drive, RAID, RAID zero. zero. Oh, RAID zero. 250 gigabytes. Drives. So two drives. Oh, okay, two drives. That are striped. So, or not, so it's basically, it's a RAID zero, so it'd be 500 gigs of space. Oh, okay. That makes RAID. sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, with XP Media Center installed and another 500 gigabytes NTFS drive for data, all S-A-T-A. Mm-hmm. This is not English. I think I bought well. it. Thank you. I think I bought it in about 2003. It's big and oh. noisy by today's standards with all the fans, but it's still fairly quick for most of the stuff I use. And it's a lot quieter since I upgraded the old ATI video card to a nice new NVIDIA card a couple of years ago. Good way to do it. I mean, if you can build your own and and keep kind of upgrading. Isn't it sad, though, John, uh, I encountered this, where, you know, you build a a RAID 0 for the performance of it at the the risk of data loss because a RAID 0 is not a safe uh, RAID. There's no redundancy at all. Mm -hmm. But you get the speed of two drives basically combined. Right. And the capacity of two drives combined. So you get... 500 gigs instead of 250 you get faster because it's using the two spindles to write data simultaneously but then ssds come along and they're able to write you know 500 megabytes plus per second insane and yeah puts your raid zero to shame doesn't it and yet you can get them for so cheap well then i mean you might as well yeah yeah (laughs) The PC isn't used that much anymore since I have several laptops for myself and family, and XP has been a bit unstable at times. I think I might need a new motherboard soon. I decided it was time to have a clear out and get rid of XP, creating a dual boot system. It's been a big decision really because I've got many years of software installations and tons of data on there. Anyway, I backed up the entire system to my NAS. That right, and then installed network attached storage. Okay, so it's a server box that a storage unit that is attached to a network, so other computers can save to it. Okay, 
and then installed Windows 7 onto the RAID device. Okay. RAID, RAID did drives. Yeah. RAID did drives. So we got Windows 7 installed. Yes. And then? And then I installed Point Linux onto the 500 gigabyte drive. SDB, I don't know if that's important. During the installation, <laughs> I used... The second G- drive. Okay. Yeah. I used the... The installation, I used Gparted. Yeah. Oh, on, that's a partition manager. Okay. On the live... I can bring D- it up. I can oh, bring it up. So okay, let's bring it up. Gparted. So I'm going to go G-part-ed. into my system here. Uh, do, 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 do. While you're doing that, I will just note that both emails today have been by people named John. Isn't that interesting? G part Ed. Here we G-part go. G part Ed. Here it goes. So when when you mentioned SDB, SDB is basically so Second. SD is an ST, uh, SATA hard drive. Essentially, usually that's the case, um, as opposed to an IDE hard drive. That's the interface, the plug that plugs in the hard drive. Okay. Uh, so SD. That right. tells you it's in probably an SATA hard drive. So SDA is the first hard drive. SDB is the second right. hard drive. SDC is the third and so on. So um, SDA is his array. So there are actually two hard drives working as SDA simultaneously Got it. through a RAID. SDB is a separate 500 gig hard drive. That's what he, he Oh, when he was explaining the previous... Okay. So he had installed the Windows on SDA which is the array, and then he's oh, going to install okay. Linux on the SDB. Okay. Did gparted ever come on? I don't GK know. sudo gparted. Enter mm-hmm. my password. Mm-hmm. There it is. Need a gk sudo. So this is a partition manager called gparted. And this is uh, a representation of my hard drive. And as I was saying, see mine? SDA. Oh, okay. One now signifies... The first partition, pardon me, the first partition on that drive. So I also have SDA2, which is the same hard drive, but it's the second partition. So what would the reasoning be to go 1, 2, and then 5? Because it appears that you Uh have 1, 2, and 5. What is the reasoning, Linus Torvalds? No, that's the thing, is that nobody really knows. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of, yeah, it's not necessarily sequential. So five doesn't necessarily mean the fifth partition. I'm just trying to really make it understandable. Got it. So in this case, in my particular case, SDA1 just happens to be the first partition. SDA2 just happens to be the second partition. Because we see the number two and we think, oh, that's the second. Obviously. Well, no, it's not actually that's That's not why it's the second. It's the second because SDA1 happens first on on the drive. Then SDA2 happens. Then... What? SDA5 happens. Right. Well, SDA5 is not the fifth partition. It's just it happens the to be third the third. The third one is called fi- 5. It just happens to be labeled as or uh, attributed to SDA5. Yeah. See what just happened here with this conversation? I know. Yeah. We should do it in Bosch and that <laughs> other one. So you see, now I have SDB as well. That's my second hard drive. Oh, These are right. both arrays. You, you see that these are actually both RAID zeros. So they're identical arrays, two uh, arrays, one's for storage, one's for my operating system. So I can manipulate the partition table using gparted, which allows you to make changes to your file system. So in his case, one drive array might be the Windows file system, NTFS, right? NT being Windows NTFS file system. So then when he creates the new partitions for Linux, they're going to be Linux file systems. Right. That's the dual boot thing? Is that what that is? Dual booting allows you to run two operating systems on the same computer, and in order to change between them, you just reboot your computer. It's brilliant for somebody who wants to, you know, say you want to be able to use certain Windows applications in a native environment. Perfect case of that would be games. Right. Right. Because you don't want to run them in a virtual machine because performance will be degraded. I'm picking up what you're laying down. All right. Okay. So I used gparted on the live DVD to partition the drives for swap and slash home partitions. I noted that all three drives were correctly displayed but didn't adjust any settings on the Windows drives, SDA and SDC. At the end of the installation, Point Linux asks where to install Grub. I chose the first displayed drive where I knew Windows was installed. SDA. SDA, since ah. I wanted to be able to dual boot. But that's your array for the Windows 
So this drive. was a problem. Okay. Oh, was it? Is that what you're thinking? Possibly. Depends okay. on the boot order. After the restart, there was no bootloader. There were no bootable drives. Okay. Both Windows and Linux were unavailable. Both of them. Okay. I went to the live... Don't fear. Okay. They're still there. Just the bootloader's gone. Okay. So I went to the live DVD again and Google Gpart Ed and RAID and quickly found that Gpart Ed 0.12.1 has an issue with detection of RAID drives. This bug was corrected in 0.14.1, though there may still be other bugs in later versions. Okay. So... The Point Linux installation DVD uses Gpart Ed 0.12.1, as does the final installation, even after installing all updates. Okay. So there, this, so Point Linux, the installer, is using the version that he's found is actually susceptible to this bug. Right. Okay. So there is also security vulnerability in issues lower than 0.14.1. Okay. There's a news link here. Catching I'm, all this? I know you are. <laughs> One day you're going to be like, oh, what was that episode where they talked about the version of Grub and Point Linux and getting it to dual boot with a RAID 0? Yep. And then... 386. Yep. Here it is. Here it is. <laughs> I'm pretty certain that Point Linux simply wrote the Grub bootloader to the physical drive SDA, ignoring the fact that it was actually a member of a striped ray, RAID array. Mm. Is this Grub write performed by a call to Gpart Ed or some other software? No, not Gpart Ed. It would be... Um uh, whatever, like Gpart Ed is a is a front end for us to be able to manipulate the partition tables. Okay. Linux, the installer, will you know like Grub would do a Grub install on mm-hmm. the on the drive. Um. I, I carry on because I'd, I'd like to find out where where John this goes is going with this. Okay. Yeah, before I interrupt and give my thoughts. Okay. After a lot of faffing, which I didn't know was a word, after a lot of faffing around in the BIOS, I eventually got the drives unrated and Windows reinstalled on one of the two 50-gigabyte drives. Faffing. Faffing. Time wasted effing around. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to use that. Even though it could see the drives... Every distro hopper knows all about faffing, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even though it could see the drives, Windows refused to install it until I reinstated the RAID controller with no configured RAID array. Finally, I installed Point Linux on the second 250-gigabyte drive and partitioned the 500-gigabyte drive so that 50% is NTFS and 50% external 4? EXT4 is the Linux file system that, that he'd be using. Okay. My head is spinning. So... Don't worry. Okay. All is working (laughs) well, and once I've got some of the more essential software installed, I will move the slash home folder to the ext4 partition on the 500 gigabyte drive, as you explained in episode 337. Many thanks for that tutorial. Indeed. I would think it would be a good idea to warn people not to use the Point Linux version of Gpart Ed to partition the drives if there is a RAID configuration present. My next question has to be, how do I get an up-to-date version of Gpart Ed installed in Point Linux? It doesn't matter so much now, but even after updating Synapt- the Synaptic Package Manager, only version 0.12.1-2 is available. This is Gpart Ed? Yes. Okay, so not the Grub bootloader itself, but Gpart Ed. Okay. Yes, because out of the box, I get a 404 <clears throat> not found error when issuing apt-get updates. And 404? Yeah. That's a file not found. File not found. 404 sometimes are fun to find because some people <laughs> will do fun things with their 404. I have found. Yes. Ours is pretty fun. I don't know what ours looks like. What's our 404? You don't know 404? what our 404 looks like? No. Let's see. All right. Not to digress. <laughs> Category5.tv slash blah, 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 blah. Page not found. Oh, oh, I love it. Poor guy. We have a good 404. But our 404 also automatically generates search for you and does all this kind of stuff. And if you and it, <gasps> it will auto, automatically check our database for stuff. But there, look, there you go. Look at how much hair you had then. And that it's wasn't six, me. It's six fifty nine. It's like one minute to seven. Exactly. Exactly. That is perfect. Anyway, please, not if to digress too. No, much. Well, please make your 404s fun make for them people fun, like folks. me. 
Okay. I am enclosing a text file repost showing the outpost of app get update home slash John slash repos. Oh, okay. There's a screenshot. I'm going to look at that. Let's okay. see what version of... Yeah, see, gparted in, on my system, Point Linux, is 0.12.1. Mm-hmm. Pretty classic, eh? 2012. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So... So what you can do, little hack around. If you're in a situation... Now, that has always worked just fine for me. I've never had any trouble like you have, John. It seems... Pardon me. It's specific to your particular installation. Oh, boy. Those RAID drives are causing the problem that he's encountering with gparted. So... Um, because it's never affected me, it's okay. But because it's affecting you, well, you could think creatively and get a gparted live disk. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as getting the latest version on Point Linux, I mean, you can you can check repositories. It is uh, an older version on the Point Linux that I have installed. But the version of Point Linux that I have installed is based on Debian Stable. Um, Point Linux 3, for example, is based on Debian Testing. So okay. uh, that's an unstable branch, which means they have more bleeding edge software. So if you're using a stable Debian, it's going to be older software because it's tried and true, it's tested, and it works really well. If you want to have the bleeding edge stuff, newer versions of software, you've got to go with something that's not considered stable. And stable in this case doesn't necessarily mean it's going to break your system. Right. It simply means... Um, that it has been tried and true. Right. So there's no bugs or anything found in or it? Or the bugs have been worked out or worked around. Right. At least it's considered to be stable enough that it's, it's you know, to, to be called stable. Mm-hmm. But testing and, and um, unstable branches of the operating system just simply mean that there are newer versions of software that have not been tested as much. So. Hmm. Okay. So uh, gparted yes. uh, live. So what you can do is you can pre-partition your hard drive mm-hmm. uh, and then <clears throat> then boot up and do your install. So what version is this? So gpart add live as a live CD or live USB. Let's see. gpart add. Does it say the version? I'm not sure. But, you know, that's, that's what I would do yeah. anyways. If I really, really needed to, I would look at what... Uh, what live CDs are available? Boot up, repartition my hard drive, then All go right. through the steps. I have to finish this email because I oh, think okay. it's adorable. Right. I apologize for the length of this email. It started out much shorter. Yes, it did. It started out with "Hi, Robbie." <laughs> Every email starts short. Yeah, it really did start short. When I first brought it up, it was it just was this nice little no clean words. window. It was just a white square. Maybe it will give you an idea for a program feature, which it has sort of become at this point. There you go. Yes. P.S. Sometimes it's very difficult to see what is happening and to follow what you are doing on your demo machine, particularly when you're clicking around a bit. It would be really useful if you could somehow get your mouse cursor to display during demos. (laughs) I can do that. Maybe we could try that. I don't know. That's actually done on purpose. So oh. when I do a demo, yeah, I can zoom in and I can do stuff. And you don't see my mouse cursor, but you see where I click. Okay. Right? Do you want to know why that is? Why? Because we're ready for the news. Right. And you don't see my mouse cursor. Right. Uh-huh. See? Okay. So it's it's a bit of a hack around so that when we do our news segment which mm-hmm. Sasha's going to kind of mosey on over. Uh, mm. When we do the news, I don't have a mouse cursor on the screen. Right, Sasha? Right, Because that would Robbie. just ruin your show. Um, so as a side note, if you've installed a Linux operating system and you find that, okay, Grub is broken, I can't get my system to boot now. Um, you know, I talked about using a live CD with gparted to do your partitioning, but you can actually get a Grub live CD as well to actually fix the Grub bootloader or to reinstall it or to install a a newer version. Uh, Let's just see here. Uh, I always forget the new version, uh, the new name. It's called Rescatux. used to be called Super Grub Disk, and so I still find it the same way. I type in Super Grub Disk into Google. Uh, Rescatux is an application or a boot CD that will allow you to fix botched, grub bootloaders so if you're if you find yourself in that case 
um, that may be an answer for you. So. In the meantime, we talked about the news, and Sasha Dermatis, it's off to you. Hello, it's Tuesday, February 10th, 2015, and here are the stories we're covering this week. Blip TV seems to be winding down since the company that bought it was itself recently bought out. Luckily, The Big Bad Wolf is a work of fiction because UK's open housing market now features homes built of straw. If at first you fail, get up and try again. Google is taking another stab at Google Glass, but this time they're not letting us see it until it's ready. The Aquarius E4.5 Ubuntu Edition smartphone is coming to market. And your TV is listening to you. Be careful what you say. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Depending on where you're located in this big old world of ours, you may remember it as either the Sega Mega Drive or the Sega Genesis. And now, more than a quarter of a century after its original release in Japan, it's more convenient than ever to take these classic Sega games with you. My review is coming right up, so stick around. Try it. Buy it. I'm Sasha Dermatis, and here are the top stories from the Category5.tv newsroom. A lot of online video platforms have disappeared over the years. Now it looks like one, while not shutting down, is having a pretty brisk spring clean. Blip TV, the video distribution startup acquired by Maker Studios, which is now itself getting acquired by Disney, has been sending out notices to many users telling them that their accounts are getting closed. That's on top of the fact that it's currently not accepting new producers. Jeff O'Connell, an SVP of technology at Maker Studios and Blip, says, Blip isn't shutting down. We're just closing more accounts as part of our effort to focus the library. In the meantime, while Blip the site is up and running, it seems to be somewhat on autopilot. The company's blog has not been updated in three months, and one of the last entries... Entries invites users to instead follow the Maker Studios blog. Of the two people who ran the blip.tv blog, one now describes himself as VP of product at Maker and the other works elsewhere. Hmm. I don't even know of Blip TV. Is that weird, Robbie? <laughs> what is Blip TV? <laughs> the story of Blip TV's demise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they, that's why they were. Um, able to be purchased for so little. Um, but fact is, we actually broadcasted through Blip.tv for many years. I mean, it was a, a great uh, service to provide RSS feed um, provision. So the files, the big video files that we have to serve up. But then, you know, YouTube really, I mean, Blip.tv had nothing on it. Um, but it was a, more of a focused platform, more for sp- shows. As opposed to little short videos kind of thing. So oh. so we actually continued to upload to Blip.tv even though it's been dwindling for some time and viewership has gone way, way down on Blip.tv because it still is a provision source for, uh, for RSS feeds. So in an event that, say, Vimeo went down, we could roll over our feeds to Blip.tv and people would still be able to watch the show on, on their uh, Roku and on um, RSS feeds. Because it would be coming from Blip. So now that they're gone, that means shows like ours have lost that feature. But it also means that some shows that were really heavily um, broadcasting through Blip don't know that there are as many anymore. Right. It kind of felt like it was <sighs> dwindling for some time. Well, Blip... But it is, you know, it's still sad to see them go. Yeah. It was a monetizable platform. and that story all of a sudden became very depressing to me. I had never uh, heard oh, of them, I and mean, now they're gone. No, they're, uh, they're doing great. I didn't even know they were awesome, and now they're gone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh. they, were, they were semi-awesome. Okay. But they were, it was one of those things. I mean, like any startup and any company that tries to do something differently, it's got to be – it was great for content producers. That's the thing. It was not great for viewers. Right. And, and continues to be so. Mm-hmm. So we've pulled out. So we're no longer on Blip. Right. I mean, the old shows are there and everything. Tonight's show will be the first one that's not being uploaded to Blip.tv, which is kind of sad because we've been there since the beginning. Mm-hmm. We've been around a long time, folks. So here's a great fun story. As you can see, uh, Studio D is made of brick. 
but the first straw houses in the UK to be offered on the open market are on sale. Though straw walls might be most readily linked to a story of pigs making questionable construction choices, the team behind these homes says the material could help sustainably meet housing demand. The homes are the result of an engineering research project led by the University of Bath. The houses on a street of traditional brick-built homes in Bristol are clad in in brick to fit in with the surroundings, but their prefabricated walls are timber-framed, filled with straw bales, and encased in wooden boards. Professor Pete Walker from the University of Bath led the research and says that straw is a very efficient insulator, so these homes should reduce energy bills by as much as 90% compared to the other houses around the site. What? Yeah. Are they building them in like a shack area or? Well, I, you know, I mean, I'm not done reading the story, so who knows, but I would worry, (laughs) I would worry that um, straw is extraordinarily flammable, Mm. right? Like timber burns, timber doesn't flash burn the way straw flash burns. Or blown in insulation, for example, blown in foam insulation that I would think would be very um, effective and efficient. At in comparison to something like straw, but without with the flame retardation, basically it, it's able right. to repel, but not flame. as su- sustainable, right? Not as sustainable, exactly. This is, I think, pointing towards sustainability. You just don't want a lit candle in your home. You don't want to have Jack be nimble over at the Three Little Pigs house. <laughs> oh, although these are not the first homes in the UK to be built using straw bales, they are the first to be built for any buyer in the open market. Professor Walker says the more we can build out of renewable materials like straw and timber, the less carbon will be in the atmosphere so we can reduce climate change effects. Hmm. I would agree. I would just worry about the safety. Like I would rather have a clay home than a straw home. True. Right? Thinking on the carbon thing, though, that makes me think too that because as an organic matter, um, straw would be carbon absorption, right? Right. So would it also help to help the air right unless you had a damp problem because that's true too right because straw as a natural product would mold easily you would think very moldy so unless you were to spray it with a fire retardant material and a mold resistant material thus making it less healthy as opposed to more right i would like to look into this more maybe build myself a straw home (laughs) (laughs) google is starting again from scratch with its glass project Sales of the controversial smart spectacles were halted in January and development of the prototype has also believed was also believed to have been stopped. First revealed in 2011, Google Glass made a big impact in mid-2012 when the company demonstrated it at its developers conference using skydivers and stunt cyclists. It's the wow factor. But many working on the device were unhappy with the exposure because it meant its final development had to take place in public. The New York Times said the controversy the project gained gave rise to tensions among the development team, forcing some key researchers to leave. Glass development is now being driven by former Apple gadget designer Tony Fidel, who has reset the project. The new version will be developed internally and only released when finished. I wonder, like it seems very like a covert operation. I wonder what the glass. Maybe they'll this make this coming it- from the company that has purchased artificial intelligence companies and robotics companies, and right. now is working behind closed doors. I just wonder, like, what do. what is Google Glass going to become? Because I think most of the pushback from Google Glass was that it was, it creepy. just was, it's creepy and it makes you feel like you're always being recorded, right? So True. are they just going to make it a little bit? Less, less creepy, creepy Built by into fake eyeballs. Well, I was thinking, like, could you really put like a maybe a contact? That would be cool in your eye that records augmented things? reality in a contact lens. Now that would be awesome. That would be really great. That means you could close your eyes and read your email. Hey, right? while you sleep, you can watch a movie. Wow! I think from a design perspective, I hope that Tony will improve upon their logo because I don't know about you. I like to kern my logos because GL ass is not a real thing. <laughs> Robbie, I haven't had a lot of sleep. If I <laughs> <laughs> all of my designer viewers f- are saying, "Yeah, yeah, learn to kern, man." <laughs> <laughs> 
Lovely. Well, good luck to you, Google Glass. I still think you're creepy. (laughs) (laughs) An Ubuntu-powered smartphone is coming to the market a year and a half after previous attempt to launch a model via crowdfunding failed. The Aquarius E4.5... Sorry about that. Oh, Sorry, what's Sasha. happening? What's, I don't what? know. We just went into a slideshow. It's the age of Aquarius. Yeah. The Aquarius <laughs> E4.5 Ubuntu Edition relies on a card-like user interf- interface that is not focused on apps. Unlike the original proposal, the handset does not become a desktop PC when plugged into a monitor. It is initially being targeted at early adopters who developers hope will become advocates for the platform. The British company Canonical, which developed the Linux-based operating system, said it hoped to emulate the success of Chinese companies, including Xiaomi, which it with its launch strategy, Xiaomi. This includes holding a number of flash sales in Europe beginning this week, in which the device will be sold for a short period of time, giving the developers an opportunity to gauge demand and response to feedback before committing to a bigger production run. The Ubuntu handset can run apps written in either HTML5 web programming language or its own native QML code. However, its operating system effectively hides them away. Instead of the traditional smartphone user interface featuring grids of apps, it uses themed cards that group together different facilities. Canonical calls these scopes, and they're reminiscent of the swipe-based card system used by the Google Now personal assistant. The phones themselves are being made and sold by a Spanish company, BQ, which already has an Android variant of the hardware. They include an 8-megapixel rear camera, a 5-megapixel front one, and a 1-gigabyte of RAM memory. They will cost about €170, which is $195 or £127. So this is a phone that I would want, Robbie? Yeah. Yes. What self-professing geek wouldn't want an Ubuntu phone? So what's a scope? What do you think a scope would look like? Well, I then? don't know. You know, I'm going to have to experience the, the Ubuntu platform on phones. I really like the Ubuntu Edge and the whole idea behind Mark's vision for a phone that was dockable to become a desktop computer, basically. Um, really kind of like that idea. So where they're going with it. Uh, we'll have to see. I know that some of the flash sales are going on today. I think they're taking a break, but uh, we're going to see more and more of these getting actual physical reviews since they are becoming available on the market. So so what you're saying is that possibly this could be a product that I could have on my new <laughs> show? <laughs> hey, there you go. That'd be an idea. Eh? Yeah. Want a new phone? How's your Samsung treating you? Because this would be kind of bleeding edge. For sure. No pun intended. How awesome would that be? Um, Not so awesome in the tech world. I feel like this happens weekly, actually. Samsung is warning customers about discussing personal information in front of their smart television set. What? Yes. Scary stuff. The warning applies to TV viewers who control their Samsung smart TV using its voice activation feature. When the feature is active, such TV sets listen to what is said and may share what they hear with Samsung or third parties, it said. Samsung's privacy policy for its net-connected smart TV sets explain that the TV will be listening to people in the same room to try and spot when commands or queries are issued via the remote. It goes on to say, if your spoken words include personal or other sensitive information, that information will be among the data captured and transmitted to a third party. The third party being the company providing speech-to-text conversation for Samsung. Publicity about the issue led competitor LG to create a software update which ensured data collection was turned off for those who did not want to share information. So from what I understand, your information will only be gathered while you're actually actively using the voice recognition on your remote. Like it's not always constantly working. That's kind of the, the misconception, I think, when it comes to you know news stories and, and these kinds of technologies. And there's a fear mongering that happens. Right. And Samsung's immediate almost – well, the warning or the, the admission that this is actually happening – it kind of makes everybody sit on edge, but the fact is, yeah, I mean, to activate Siri, how do you, what do you do? 
you hold mm-hmm. in the the home button or right. you, you, there, there's a process. So on your Samsung remote, there's actually a button that allows you to activate I, the feature. I have one of these remotes and literally I have to press a button, talk in the microphone, channel four, and then it switches to channel four, right? right. So if while I'm pressing that button, I say, I am planning on taking over the world, Right then, everybody hears that, and it doesn't switch to channel four. Instead, maybe I don't take know. you over to the Microsoft channel or yeah, exactly. Like that. Um, Google but, Glass. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's it's more it's the fear of you don't necessarily know what your technology is doing behind under the hood behind the scenes. I mean, we hear about right. smart cars and the fact that they're broadcasting unencrypted information. And being able to be controlled by unencrypted um, mm-hmm. connections. Uh, and then you have a smart TV that when you tell it what to do, it actually transmits that voice command to a third-party service. If it doesn't recognize it off the bat, it's translated then and sent back. But who's to say, you know, is that – who's, who's intercepting it? Who, who's controlling it? Who is in charge of that information and that content that data tvs have webcams built into them now and so it starts to become very creepy when you think about the big brother aspect and you know the uh, the ability of governments to you know use these kinds of technologies Mm -hmm. that it could happen i think makes people fear that it is happening even though it may not be yeah creepy and scary but i think we'll be okay for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias, visit the Category5.tv newsroom at newsroom.category5.tv. For the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Dermatis. Thanks, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV. I'm your host, Robbie Ferguson. And we love getting your questions. Send us an email live at category5.tv. We've got very little time left. I can't do believe it. Do we have time for another one? Do it. Do okay. It. Yes. Okay. I think um, I just took a look at one of your Wirecast tutorials, which I found very informative. One thing I'm not clear on is the audio input into your computer. On my laptop, I have only a mini input. What type of input do you have on your computer? And is that audio coming off a mixer? Is there a USB mic that is a reliable option for me? Thank you from Thad. For you, Thad? I let's see. I'm going to see if I can I don't think I have a camera that I can show you unfortunately. I wish I was ready for you. I'd have my Wirecast cam up on the iPod. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Think hmm. I can do it? Think I can do it? Maybe. And well, you know, while you're connect. pulling that up, I can quickly read another one. Well, let's see if I can connect like okay. instantly. Super fast. Wirecast cam is pretty great that way. All right. I think connect, connect. buddy. There oh, we there go. we go. I've got a camera. Okay. So now I've got a camera in my hand with an iPod Touch. Okay, this is our soundboard. This um, is where we pull all the audio. We have so our headset microphones go into XLR adapters, and those go out to the board. The board then goes into a compressor, which uh, adjusts the levels of our audio, and then a sonic maximizer, which adds some beautiful sound to it. And you'll see that we've got a uh, quarter inch to. Uh, to 8-inch adapters coming out of the board, and we've actually got quarter-inch going to XLR going out to the rack units, and then from the rack units, then all the cables go out, and it is actually just a quarter-eighth-inch. It's an eighth-inch. So we actually have it going to an eighth-inch input. That's tough when I got wires all over me. But at least you got to see. So, yes. um, yeah, it is uh, same stuff that you've got. There's our iPad with an eighth-inch cable going out to a second sound card. And this is our, our Cartwell system so that we can play our theme music and everything. So uh, because that has to happen, I'm going to trigger that. There's a little bit of a delay on the iPod Touch, but you'll see that the music then starts playing. And that's going out through a quarter-inch as well. So it would be good in a, in a broadcast environment if you have to run long cables to use a balanced input on your computer. In our case, we have a very little amount of uh, distance from mm-hmm. the mixing console to the computer itself, and we've wrapped uh, the cables around magnets so that it would absorb some of the interference. Speaking of wrapping, mm. we have to wrap it up. 
Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. That was the fastest hour of life. Wow. Um, and I'm Where'd really, really sorry, Spice Jacks, that I did not get to your question slash comment. Next week it will happen. Hillary Rumble will be here, and I promise you, Hillary Rumble will get to your question. I'm so sorry. She I would not. not let this slide. I blame Robbie. It's all my fault. <laughs> I was talking away during your news segment. Extending oh, very most interesting news stories. That's the problem. I know. I know. <laughs> so uh, check it out really, really fast. Look at our Telestream Wirecast. Look at the top right there. We are streaming about uh, 50,000 kilobits per second with only 42% CPU usage. Uh, thank you to everybody who helps to support the show. We are uh, recording to disk in the highest resolution, highest bit rate that we have ever done. I hope that this looks fantastic. We've got the new camera up and running. We've got Sasha on a new camera over in the newsroom. Should have looked better tonight than ever before. <laughs> um, we're working on the audio issues. So this is a time of transition for us as a live show that broadcasts every week. It's hard for us to get there because we don't have downtime. I'd love to have three months off where we can just tweak everything, but we don't. So we're doing it on the fly, and I hope it was great tonight. See that Roku was working well for everybody, so that's a real plus. I'm glad that's working for you. So have a wonderful week, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll both be here next week. So. That's right. Get ready for more. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Good night. We hope you enjoyed the show. Category 5 TV broadcasts live from Barrie, Ontario, Canada, every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're watching this on demand or through cable TV, check out the local showtimes in your area at Category5.tv and find out when you can watch live and interact in the community chat room. Category 5 is a production of Prodigy Digital Solutions and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. 